When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have a couple things to talk about. Um, We've got to talk about the new defensive line coach. That's Gerald Chapman. Honestly, haven't been able to learn a whole lot about him, uh, but there's there's still plenty to talk about there. Uh, Also... The women's basketball team is headed to the Pac-12 semifinals. Uh, There was no podcast yesterday, because, like, there's the game Saturday, which means there's a podcast on Saturday, which means one of the weekdays. There isn't one. And so I was kind of torn. Should I do one yesterday? Should I do one today? And thankfully, it paid off, because now we'll we'll obviously talk right now about the first couple rounds of the tournament and and what to expect from Stanford, um, likely Stanford. I guess that's not quite official yet. I haven't seen that score in a bit, but I know they were up massively at halftime over Oregon State. Um, But then uh, we'll also talk Friday about whatever happens in that game tomorrow, talk about Colorado's last game against Utah, and also, I mean, Oregon plays tonight, too, I believe. Let me double-check that. I could be wrong. No, I've made a bet on it. I know it's tonight. Um, but Oregon plays Washington tonight. So if Oregon loses this game, then the game that Colorado plays against Utah on Saturday will determine whether Colorado is the fourth seed or the fifth seed. Um, if... Washington wins tonight, or, or, or sorry, if Oregon wins tonight against Washington, then they could still lose to Washington State on Saturday, and if they lose either of these two games, then Colorado would have a chance to win and go to uh, the, the, the number four seed, get the bye in Vegas. Uh, if if Oregon does 
lose both these, then Colorado wouldn't need to win. But we'll we'll talk about more of that stuff tomorrow when we know what happens tonight. Um, and then on Saturday, we'll talk after CU plays. At that point, we will know whether Colorado is the fourth seed or the fifth seed in this tournament, and we'll talk about the games. There's there's kind of the plan for the last next few days here. Um, but today, women's basketball talk. First, though, got to talk about Gerald Chapman. So Gerald Chapman is the new defensive line coach at Colorado. He is 33 years old. He has um, some some interesting experience. You know, this this will be his first defensive line coaching job, which I don't know. We'll 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 talk more big picture later on, but that's why I do think that I mean, he is probably a little bit of a downgrade, at least resume wise, compared to Vic Soto. Um, but we'll dig into that part later on. Uh, here is that resume, though. So he was a defensive tackle at Wisconsin Oshkosh, uh, graduated in 2010, um, went back immediately and was an assistant coach there for a couple of seasons. Um, he wound up going from there to Ball State as a grad assistant. He's there 2012 and 2013, an assistant coach at Butler in 2014, a grad assistant at Texas A&M in 2015, an assistant coach at Elon in 2016, assistant coach at Tennessee State 2017-18. He was the assistant defensive line coach uh, for the Bengals in 2019 and 2020, analyst at LSU in 2021. Uh, when Brian Kelly took over that program, he did retain Gerald Chapman as a, a defensive analyst, um, but he was offered the defensive line coaching job at Tulane, and he left for that job. So I think that was about a month ago he went to Tulane, and I guess maybe you call that his first time being a defensive line coach. He was there for a month and never coached any football practices or games or anything, so I wouldn't. Uh, so this is really his first real big break is at Colorado. Um, again, I mean, I like a lot of things on the resume. You know, I like some NFL experience. I like that the Bengals, what, 2019, he would have been about 30 years old and he's their assistant defensive line coach. That's a pretty big gig for somebody his age. Um, being a part of the program at Texas A&M, um, being an analyst at LSU, um, obviously getting hired at Tulane, like, sure, okay, that's that's solid. Um, but I do think that there's plenty to like there. Uh, we still haven't gotten an official announcement, and I probably should have said that earlier on. Colorado has not said that he's the defensive line coach. Maybe they're working out the terms or whatever. This was reported by Bruce Feldman yesterday of The Athletic. Um, he's He's not wrong often especially with the buffs it does seem like he breaks a lot of the CU news so I'm I'd be shocked if this report isn't true um, but when when he is hired we will get to uh, learn a little bit more about him see see what the press release has to say um, <laughs> that's the thing about press releases um, yeah so just kind of again there isn't a lot on him, which goes with the big concern, right, is that he's inexperienced. Obviously, you like the, the trajectory of his career and think, like, yeah, this is, this is a guy who figures to be a, a good coach 
in the football world for the foreseeable future, however you want to put it. Um, but is he ready for this job? We don't really know. And there's a chance that he isn't. There's there's really no way of telling. Uh, you know, you look at somebody like Phil McGagan, no issue with experience there. There's a lot to really like. There's there's even clips of him like from when the Chargers run hard knocks and how he talks to the team, all that sort of stuff. It's really easy to kind of get into his head. Tougher, tougher here, obviously. Um, you know, the difference between him and Vic Soto is basically just like four years of experience. Um, Vic is 34. Uh, Gerald is 33. So a, a little bit younger, obviously. Um, but to me, it does just kind of look like Vic is a step further along in his career. You know, he he was already the defensive line coach at Arizona and USC and uh, what some smaller school back east. So, again, I, I don't think that this makes this a bad hire. You would like somebody with that little bit of extra experience, um, but there obviously is a real chance that the Buffs did get the better coach out of this. It's just that there is probably a little bit more risk here just because um, he he hasn't had a job like this before, and there's always a risk giving somebody their, their first real big break, which is what this is for him. Um, excited to get to know him. I'm excited to learn more about him, uh, but... I feel like there's there's kind of a big takeaway. I think that when you go through a hiring process and you wind up with somebody, you wind up with Vic Soloto, if you have to go through that hiring process again, again, best case scenario, you're getting your second choice, right? Like, you're that's just the way it works. Because if he was your first choice, you would have hired him the first time, you know? And that's kind of what makes this situation not so fun. Still, though, I, I don't necessarily think that means that the Buffs wound up with a bad coach or anything. It just means got to wait and see. And that is never fun, but it is what it is. And we'll figure out stuff when we figure that stuff out. I think that's all I've got on all of that. You know, before we get into this women's basketball team, and I'm excited to talk about them, they really, and tournaments, we love tournaments. Tournaments are fun, and they uh they they're in the Pac-12 semifinal against a team that I mean again we're making assumptions, but probably against a team that they've played really really tough for the last two or three years, and this is obviously the the biggest stage that that's happened on. Um, we'll dig into all that stuff in just a second, though. Real quick, want to tell you guys about Brackenridge Brewery, um, Brackenridge is awesome. They make great beers. Uh, We love their beers, their seltzers. What we love even more, though, is that this summer, they are teaming up with the National Parks Conservation Association. Uh, The the tragic fires in Colorado devastated so much for so many people, um, and that's one of the reasons that Breckenridge is donating 1% of all their profits this summer to the National Parks Conservation Association. Uh, if you buy a pint somewhere, you buy a pack of Breckenridge beers somewhere, 1% of that goes to the great outdoors. So it's obviously a great cause. Um, it's great drinks too. They have the seltzers, the lemonade seltzers, the farmhouse is open, socially distanced, beautifully set up for outside dining. So many awesome options, whether you want to go down there, whether you want to just pick your beers up. It's really good stuff. And if you use the code DNVR, and order at 303-803-1380 from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., 
you can save $5 on some delicious food and booze from the farmhouse down in Littleton. Make sure that you check them out. Make sure you support them because they support us. All right. So, women's basketball team. Uh, we have two games to talk about. And we also need to talk about what's on the way. And I'm actually going to check right now, as I've been meaning to do and then forgetting over and over again. Stanford's up 55-38 to 38 with three minutes to go. It's going to be Stanford tomorrow. It would be nice if it was Oregon State, uh, but it's going to be Stanford tomorrow. Let's start with uh, the first game, when the Buffs played Washington. And just for a little background here, Washington isn't good. Uh, Washington's the worst team in the conference. I mean, that's that's how matchup works. Colorado's the five seed. Washington is the 12 seed. Um, and that game was pretty close. I mean, tournament basketball usually is. It wasn't until what, about four or five minutes left, probably four minutes left, that Colorado really pulled ahead. Um, Washington trailed with a, or led with about 10 minutes to go. Colorado led the rest of the way, wound up winning 64 to 52, and it, it could have been a wider margin, and it could have been a game that wasn't so close. Um, I, I think in that game, in that first half, Colorado really struggled shooting the ball. They were one of 12 from three, and this is a team that is not good at that. And they're probably the worst in the Pac-12 at shooting three-pointers. And actually, Washington's three-point defense is surprisingly good just by the numbers. And so it's it's a matchup you don't necessarily like. Um, again, the, the defense was collapsing. Washington has uh, Nancy Mulkey, their center. She's six foot nine, and the the tallest person on Colorado's uh, roster is six foot three. So there's a six inch advantage there. She winds up, I think, with four blocks in the first half. No, no trouble like with fouls or anything like that. She's grabbing rebounds. But but beyond the block, she's really just clogging everything up in there. And Colorado has a group of guards that isn't great at finishing at the rim. Um, they're good at getting down there, but they they pass the ball a lot. And they're not like bad by any means, but that isn't like a trait you look at and say like, oh wow, look, there they are doing that again. And because of that, the the middle of the 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 floor down there just kind of became a mess. And because Colorado has the best defense in the Pac-12, it just became this slog of a game, just back and forth and back and forth. And I'm pretty sure what was this score at halftime? Um, 21-17 Colorado led. Just crazy to think about, right? 21-17 on pace for a 42-34 to basketball game, which is honestly pretty close to the game we got today. Again, though, the, the, the Buffs couldn't get anything going down low in the paint, anything like that. They had, to, they had to take the threes. The thing was, those threes were wide open, and even though they were one of 12 from three in the first half, they were getting really good looks. They just couldn't make them. Um, going into halftime, J.R. Payne, the, the coach, said on the TV broadcast that they need to stop taking threes. And, you know, I disagreed with that just because you're getting open looks. You're getting good looks. You just have to make those. Like, you're not really getting anything else. Uh, you're, you're struggling to get good, like, mid-range shots. You're definitely struggling to get anything going to the rim. Um, how many, how many, I, I wonder if I can see right now. Nancy Mulkey played 28 minutes. 
So there's 12 minutes she wasn't on the floor, and it was so obvious when she wasn't on the floor that everything opened up. And so in those situations, yeah, there, there's a lot more out there. That's when the buffs actually did some damage in the paint. But for the most part, like, you're getting those open threes. You got to take them. Like, you got to take them, and you got to make them. And that's what happened in the second half. They were 8 of 12 from 3 in the second half, continued getting good looks, and they just happened to fall. That's why I mean, they, they finished with a whatever it was, 12-point win. Um, and, and it would have been, you know, a 24-point win if they could have made four more of those 12, go 5 for 12 in the first half, you know? So so that was really what changed and from the first half to the second half when the Buffs pulled away and won. Um, it is worth noting, though, like, I say that, and then I went to the Nuggets game last night where the Nuggets are playing Oklahoma City, the worst basketball team in the NBA, and two of their starters are out. And they're all just like these 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. They're all skinny. Um, Colorado probably has a – or sorry, Denver probably has like a 150-pound advantage just total on the court at any given time. They've got an average of like five years of experience at any position. You know, Jokic is lining up against who he's lining up against, Monte against whoever, all, all the way down. And Oklahoma City beats beats them. And you look at it. And I think the Nuggets shot, uh, let me see if I can pull up this number. It was just a stupid number of threes. Um, but it was the same thing where you're getting open threes and how do you how do you pass that up, especially in the NBA, right? Like you're an NBA team, they're leaving you wide open at the three-point line. They took 46 threes and most of them were pretty good shots too, like really good shots. And I, I was watching that and just thinking about that that women's basketball game and my thoughts about that. And honestly, I kind of changed my mind because I was like, you know what? When when you're playing Oklahoma City, those guys kind of suck. Like they they kind of just they suck. And because of that, yeah, you can do all this fancy passing and run your offense, and and you're going to be able to get good looks out of it because the defenders need to go there or there or there and make decisions, and it leaves somebody open. Um, but you know, you're able to get these open threes in about five seconds of offense because, yeah, you're just playing better basketball than them. But those are good shots. They're not great shots. And against Oklahoma City, you can get great shots whenever you want. You know, you don't have to settle for the good shot five seconds in when you have another 10, 15 seconds just to, to, to go get something better at the rim. And and so then I kind of did change my mind, you know, where – you said it's like okay it's an open three but also they're not falling and you can get to the rim whenever you want do you really want to just live and die by the three I think maybe that's what JR was getting at which is just like this is not a three-point shooting team we need to get to the rim and you know they struggle getting to the rim and they were getting wide open looks and so it puts you kind of in a bind and luckily what happened was they continued getting open looks and they just went eight of 12 in the second half and there you go. Like that's that's ball game against a team like Washington. So that's obviously something worth paying attention to, especially when today they they struggled in the half court offense again. They really struggled in the half court offense. Um, and again, you're going up against Arizona, the number fourteen team in the country. So you don't you don't expect to be getting great looks over and over and over again. I mean, it's Colorado's the best defense in the Pac-12 by the numbers, and Arizona's number two. 
And, and the fact that that game wound up being 45 to 43 should not surprise anybody, even though you watch it, and you're just like, how can nobody get anything better than this? Um, so <sighs> that half-court offense... Something needs to change. And it's weird because typically when you see a struggling half-court offense, you look at the guards first and say, like, okay, you're not getting much playmaking there. You're not getting whatever. I mean, Colorado's guards have been good. And the turnovers the turnovers really crept up today. You know, Jalen Sherrod had five turnovers. That can't happen. You can't, you can't have five turnovers and expect for good things to, to happen. Um, when you're the starting point guard, you know, Kendall Weta off the bench, she played really, really well. She also turned the ball over three times, which is too many for her too. And what's weird is I, I think some of it's just a little bit of a lack of size. It'd be nice if you had somebody who, you know, was just six, four, six, five and heavy could just bully people in the post. It, it add another dynamic to this team because right now you, you look through, first of all, I do think that, um, the the buffs missed uh Tamaya Sadler who was carted off yesterday and according to Brian Howell who's out in Vegas covering all this things things are looking up for her, but she's still in the hospital um it was i think i think what he said most recently was she isn't going to play in this tournament but she could potentially be back for the NCAA tournament which is a good sign cuz and it was it was a weird injury and I guess she's had back problems before, but it was just kind of like a little shove in the back by Peanut. You know, it's the same team, just on like a rebound, just like moving her out of the way a little bit. And she goes down, and it, it didn't look like this big of a deal, but I mean, that's how that's how back injuries work, right? Is any little thing and just tweak it, and things can get off. So she gets strapped up and, and carted off, but it does seem like things are going well. Um, that starting lineup now, though, is... You know, Jalen at point guard, Sila Finau at the two, uh, Frida Foreman at th- the third. Sorry, at the three. Uh, Maya Hollingsha at the four, and Peanut at the five. And you know, you just look through, and it's like, okay, so Jalen, she's not a great scorer, but she's really fast, very, very, very good defender, good distributor. Um, doesn't turn the ball over much. Today was a bit of an exception. Um, very good player, but not much of a score. You you look at. Sela at the two, and that's probably your one person who drives to the rim and can and can score. She has two points, and that's not ideal. Frida Foreman subs in and plays the three. Um, she she took over that open starting job uh, that that came because of Sadler's injury, and she's mostly an outside threat. She can be kind of crafty, um, but not all that big, so you don't want her playing in the post all that much. Um, she can get like a little step through here or there. She can use the footwork here or there, but for the most part, spacing, three-point shooting. And I mean, what is she shooting for the season? I won't pull that up. Season totals, she's 40 of 143. So like 28%. So not... Not like a great percentage. She's struggled to score as well. 35% shooting from the field, 7.6 points per game. Um, you look at the four, and that's your big scoring punch. That's Maya Hollingshed. Um, she's a knockdown three-point shooter. She can get to the rim. She's long. She can get off offensive boards. And then at the five, you, like I said, have Peanut, who, you know, good player, gritty, a lot like Evan Batty, honestly, where it's like run the pick and roll. Um, get some get some boards, be stout on the defensive end, uh, maybe post up a couple times a game. But 
when you just look through this lineup, it's it's really hard to to get a whole bunch of scoring out of it, even though you have really good defenders up and down the line, up and down the rotation, honestly, even when you bring people in off the bench. Um, it's just hard to get into the paint right now and get consistent good looks. And, and the, the, the struggles are just, I mean, there's, they're, they're missing the open threes as well, which is, again, something that's happened all season. And there were 5 of 17 today, a little under 30%. Their season percentage, I think, is still at 30%. Um, yesterday might have changed a little bit, but when you don't have that sort of spacing and the defense can collapse and you don't have somebody who is just really big, you know, is six foot four and can kind of collapse the defense, a true center, it just leaves you in a tough spot. And they're really good when they get out and run. They're one of the best teams in transition in the conference. Uh, but when, when you're not able to get out and run, you're forced to play in this half-court offense. I'm not sure what the answer is. And when they're going up against Stanford tomorrow, that's going to be a really tough matchup. You know, th- three of the five players on the Pac-12's all-defensive team are starters for Stanford. That's the other really good defense in the conference. And beyond that, they're a really good rebounding team. Um, I think they have like a plus nine, better than plus nine rebounding margin this season. I think there's somebody in the conference with like a plus five and then a few teams like plus four. But but Stanford, far and away the best rebounding team. And they're, they're big and they're long. They position themselves well. They're, they're just trees down in the paint. Um, and, you know, Maya, Maya can fight with them. Um, Peanut can can fight with them. But today you won the rebounding battle. Let me let me double check. I think it was thirty-eight to thirty-one. Yeah, thirty-eight to thirty-one. You win by two points. You know you're not going to have that plus seven margin on the board against Stanford. Like what you're trying to do against Stanford is just even that up. You you want to play them even on the boards, and if you do that, you feel like you won. Um, what can't happen is these turnovers. That's that. That has to be Colorado forcing turnovers. They need to be stealing the ball, getting the other team frustrated, not letting them get any momentum. And again, what we saw from Colorado today was that they closed quarters really, really, really well. Um, I want to run through here. So, so in the first quarter, the they wind up losing the quarter ten to nine. It's just an absolute grind of of a quarter, and I mean. A, Sets the tone for the whole game, right? I mean, it wasn't quite like that because 10-9 puts you on pace for 40-36 to and they wound up winning 45-43, but pretty close to it, right? Um, you know, the, the the Buffs have two field goals. They have a three from Frida about halfway through. Um, there's a, a little jumper in the paint from Maya with two minutes to go. Peanut gets four points off of free throws in there as well. Meanwhile, Arizona, they didn't make a field goal after 8.39. So, so they, their, their second and final f- field goal of the quarter was at 8.39. They didn't score again except for free throws. And they got three trips to the line. They made all of them, and all of a sudden that's enough to, to take the lead. Um Again, that defense just locks down and doesn't give up those jumpers, though. Doesn't give up any shots, really. Um, second quarter, they don't give up a field goal in the final six minutes. Um, third quarter, they give up two buckets total. 
they won this quarter what, what was that three six seven eight nine nine to four a nine to four quarter and they give up a, a layup with 742 to go a layup with 152 to go fourth quarter they don't give up any uh any uh, field goals after 559. So that's almost six minutes again. So you look at that first quarter where they don't give up any, any uh, after 852, any field goals. Don't give up any field goals after the six-minute mark in the second. Give up one after the 742 mark in the third. None in the final six minutes. I guess there was one at 559 in the fourth. So you just see how they settle in and just don't give up anything. And so it's almost like, especially in the second quarter, you know, first quarter is a total grind. Second quarter, Arizona kind of gets something going early. Um, they're, they're getting good possessions, and, and Colorado's turning the ball over a lot. Colorado is giving them these extra possessions so that they can go on this little mini run. And it's not even a mini run, really. It's a nine-point run, which in a game where there's 88 total points scored is a pretty massive run. Then they answer, they totally shut them down, and they just kind of grind their way back to a 13-3 run the rest of the way, and all of a sudden, the Buffs have a two-point lead at halftime. It's a, it's a defense that is really, really good. They need to do better playing off of it, though, because there are more opportunities to, to push in transition, and they're just... I mean, even, even in those opening minutes of the game, I think Frida hits the three... Uh, about three minutes in before that she'd gotten to the rim twice and just couldn't finish and you know again in these games where the margins are so slim because the defense is so good I know it would have felt felt really nice to be up 13 to 10 after the first quarter instead of down 10 to 9 you know every one of these buckets matters and when you're turning the ball over 21 times it's just it's just brutal it's just brutal um, in the uh, fourth quarter, they I think in the fourth quarter alone, there were five plays where they couldn't inbound the ball. Three of them were consecutive. About halfway through the fourth quarter, there were three plays in a row where they turned the ball over on the inbound, and that's six free points. That's like 13% of Arizona's points in the entire game. The entire game, 13%, came on these three failed inbound passes from the Buffs. Just throw it in. They're right at the the rim, and you foul them, give them two free throws. Do it again. And the third time, they actually had to dribble around a little bit, but but they still wound up getting that layup. It's it just it, it can't happen. You have to be able to inbound the ball. And, and those struggles inbounding, those came when Arizona put the press on. So they just went to this full-court press, and immediately Colorado turns the ball over three times off of inbounds. And then pretty quickly thereafter, there's a fourth. And then... Late, again, you know, the Buffs force a miss. They get the ball back with four seconds left, uh, call a timeout, which at the time I'm saying, why are you calling a timeout? Just take the foul, go to the free throw line. You have a two-point lead, get that thing up to four and get out of here. But instead, they call the timeout. They can't inbound the ball. They turn it over, and uh, Arizona calls a timeout with uh, two seconds to go down two. They're able to get not a great look, but a look at a three-pointer at the buzzer that they shouldn't have had. And, again, I, to me, that timeout, not not the move in, in my mind. But typically it makes sense. When you're struggling to inbound the ball, it just can't happen. So you have those five turnovers in the fourth quarter just off of the, the inbounds passes. Can't happen. 
that can't happen and that needs to get better and and the truth is like at this point it's not something you can fix right when when you're playing in the tournament you're you're just playing a game every day there's no hey a little extra shoot around here we're get, we're going to go hard here and see if we can um for, for 20 minutes work on this no because you can kind of fit that stuff in when you're on like a two game road swing a Thursday Saturday road swing you're like ah let's let's push it a little bit here even though everybody's tired even though whatever when you're playing the tournament you're going into day three with a game this back to back to back you there there's no working on anything you are what you are and that's that's kind of scary when we've seen that they struggle with that press right there so I think that that is very high up on the list of concerns. I also think you expect to see Stanford go to it early, right? And it's what we talked about mostly last year with that the Buffs team, the men's team, when you're saying like, okay, every time the defense flips to a zone, you're, they're struggling to crack it. Then late in the season, you know, Oregon State in the tournament, you see them go to the zone and Oregon State upset, upset CU. Um, and the same thing here Stanford going to go to that press early obviously it's a little tense on your defense that's a lot of a lot of energy to expend on the defensive end especially early in a game but it's probably worth it right when we see what we saw today um so those are some thoughts on all that what what else do we have going on here um but Arizona really struggled from the three point line i think that's notable um, Arizona was two of 24 from three. Again, they, they got some good looks. Some of them were really forced. Um, when you're talking about 45, 43 game though, two of 24 is really fluky and it has a big impact. You know, if imagine if that's like reasonably, you could say that that should be eight of 24. They make one in three of their threes. That's a pretty standard number for PAC 12 women's basketball. That's six th- more three-pointers. That's 18 points just on those. And, and again, that's a little aggressive. Even if you say, obviously, they make one more, and that changes the final score, and everything plays out differently and all that as well. But I, I do think that there's a couple of these little things you look at, and, and they, are, they are a little scary. And the, the top of the list is always just going to be that half-court offense. You know, for as talented as this team is, they're they're built to play incredible defense and to hopefully build offense off of that. Um, you can get the ball to Maya in the post, but I mean, that's that's not modern basketball, right? Nobody's nobody's looking for post ups at this point. Um, so number one is that half court offense is the big concern. Um, number two, the how do you even phrase these things? Like, it, it does turnovers count as part of that half-court offense? Um, I'm going to leave turnovers off of it just because Jalen Sherrod and Kendall Weta have been incredible, incredible um, at, at not turning the ball over for the most part this season. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to put that up there. I will put the ability to handle the press up there. Um, and, and Stanford specifically, I think just the, the length that they have, the, the size advantage they're going to have, that's a it's a it's a problem it's a problem and and the fact that you Colorado is not a great rebounding team in the first place like they're it's going to take just an incredible effort against Stanford they have to fight so hard for every one of those rebounds even though they're if if there is a fight they're probably going to lose you know like like on any given 
rebound, they're probably not going to win that fight, but they just have to fight and fight and fight and the next time fight and the next time fight and the next time fight and see if they can find a way to claw this back to an, an even rebounding margin, um, which is not going to be easy to do. It really is not going to be easy to do. Um, if they can do that, though, they have a chance. And as we've talked about with, with this team in the past, they play Stanford really tough. I, I think that if you're Stanford... Honestly, Colorado is probably the team that scares you the most in this conference. Um, if this was a couple years ago, it'd still be uh, it'd still be um, Oregon. But this Oregon team this year is is not anything special, and they've been down for a couple years now. And so I do think that if you were to ask Stanford, who do you not want to play? Colorado's got to be at the top of the list. I think like six of the last seven have come down to the final minute. Um, Colorado's only pulled out one of those games, which. You know, that's notable. That is notable. And that's why when we go to the offshore sports books that try to tell us what uh, what the to expect from these games, what the lines are, Stanford's going to be a pretty heavy favorite, even though Colorado's played him close. Um, but just running through some of these, and I wrote this story in January when Stanford came to Boulder. I'm just going to read some of the parts of it that talk about some of these games. Um First game of the 2019-2020 season, Stanford's ranked sixth in the country. Uh, Maya hit a three-pointer to give the Buffs a two-point lead with 1.6 seconds left. Um, you would think that that would mean you're going to win the game. Instead, the, it was a horrible play. Somehow, the Buffs just leave Ashton Prechtel, who's a real post. You know, she's one of those girls who's like six foot four and. She's from Colorado, and for that reason, it would have been nice if just that one player was with Colorado would just change the dynamic of this team. Um, but they, she somehow winds up wide open in the post and just catches the ball off the inbound, has a free lane to the rim, ties it up, um, and beats the buzzer, and <laughs> the game goes to overtime. Again, the Buffs hit a three to go up two points with 1.6 seconds left, and Stanford wins in overtime, and, and so you blow that one. Um, they, they played, uh, they played Stanford obviously again that season. This one's at home. Um, they, they tied the game up in the third. They had a three point lead with 14 seconds to go. Colorado did, um, Stanford hit the three off an inbound play. And then, and then this was like a, a sports center top 10 play, but Colorado turned the ball over in a tie game with just a couple of seconds left. And I think with eight seconds left, they were trying to inbound the ball. And there was just like this wild, it wasn't quite half court, but it was pretty close to half court um, buzzer beater in a tie game that won, won it for Stanford. And so both of those two, you look at and say like that, those could have easily been wins for Colorado. Um, the fact they didn't get either, pretty surprising. Um, last season, they uh, the, the, the Buffs played... Stanford in Boulder the first time. At that point, Stanford's the number one team in the country. Stanford's always up near the top. Always, always up near the top. Tara Vanderveer has one of the very best programs in the history of college basketball. Um, but Maya has 32 points. It's, I think that's still her career high. 10 rebounds, 5 steals. Um, Jalen made a layup with a couple seconds left uh, to send it to overtime. And uh, Frida Foreman, she got hot in overtime. She uh, 
she she basically led the Buffs to the overtime win. Uh, so they took down the number one team in the country. So at this point, you're like, all three of these games are incredible. Um, but the the next one, Buffs are down four with two minutes left. Wound up losing that one, 62 to 56. Um, the two games this year, the Buffs in Boulder, they had a decent chance. The one on the road, they got blown out. So again, though, the point is, while Stanford is the number two team in the country and deservedly so, and on the very very short list of teams who could win the national championship this year, Colorado has played them really, really tough. And that counts for something. And when it comes to game time tomorrow, it's it's not going to be a toss-up. I'd be lying to you if I said it was a toss-up. But I think when you look at Colorado versus Stanford, just at the top of the page, this game is a lot closer than you'd think. And the Buffs have a real chance. And they're, they're going to need, first of all, just this incredible rebounding effort. Obviously, they need that defense to show up. It rarely doesn't show up, but it feels dumb to even say, like, the defense needs to shut up when you're talking about this team. Like, it's it's just the best defensive team in the conference. Like, that, it'd be a shock if that doesn't happen. Obviously, you need that. You need to be forcing turnovers. But you can't be turning the ball over either. Um, you, you've got to you've got to hold on to the ball. And that hasn't been like a huge problem for Colorado this season, which is, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? Where it's really disappointing and hard to trust some of the things that were working well for this team in the past. Um, at the same time though, it's easy to think it could just go away, that these turnover issues could just go away. And ho- hopefully that's what happens. Um, anything else I want to get to? Well, what is this now? I think, the Buffs had won six of seven coming into the tournament, so that's seven of eight, and now eight of nine. Buffs have won eight of their last nine. The, the one loss in there being a 15 or 20-point loss to Stanford. So I guess you don't love that part, but they they are playing really well. And Kendall Weta, I, I feel like that was the other thing. I, she only scored like two points today. No, six points. Six points. Maybe it was the last game. Let me, let me double-check on that. Um, ooh... I hate how this is formatted. I thought this would be quick. She had eight points in the last one, too. Um, I don't know what I was talking about, but she she is going to be a really, really good player in this conference. She already is a really good player in this conference. I, I mentioned Stanford, three of the five team, three of the five players on the conference all-defense team. Kendall Weta is right up there as a true freshman. Wild. Um, but she's going to be a force in this conference. She had six points today, eight rebounds, four assists. Uh, three steals. She just does so much, and that defense is just incredible. It it causes so many problems for whoever the opponent is. You just put her on the, the opposing guard, and she clamps them down. And Jalen Sherrod does the same thing as well, but again, that's just the expect, expectation for Jalen at this point. Um, yeah. I don't think I have much else I need to say about all this feel like we've gotten most of it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let me double check on this game time tomorrow before we get out of here. I should have put that in the recap story. I'll update that. I just realized I wrote that before we even knew who the opponent would be. Um, I don't have this page open anywhere. Give me a second. A second. Okay, now this is loading. And they'll play at 2.30 Pacific time. So that is 3.30 mountain time um which is perfect 330 mountain time buffs stanford 
Oh, wouldn't it be nice if the buffs could pull it off? Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh, I hope nobody turned it off right after that. It's actually at six Pacific time, so seven, seven Mountain time. The the buffs will play Stanford. They played at three thirty today. I was looking. I didn't fill out the bracket as it went. Um, seven p.m. tomorrow. I assume on Pac twelve Network, but we'll see on that as well. That's all you got. Uh, hopefully the Buffs win. We'll be talking tomorrow night after the game, and uh, we'll be talking about the men's game as well. Who knows? Buffs might also announce the the hiring of the new defensive line coach, and if that is the case, I, uh, I, I we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, that's all I got today, and we'll talk soon.